Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 88 of The Sausage Factory. Wait, what? No, don't worry. You haven't accidentally downloaded a really old episode of The Sausage Factory. This is genuinely episode 88. Only kind of remastered, re-released, because sadly I couldn't get a guest this week. Um, Cancellations, things happen, life gets in the way. So rather than skip another week, as I did last week because of technical difficulties, I thought I'd delve into the archives. So I did. Went back four years to February 2016. And I discovered this wonderful episode where I chapped to Mo Yu of Foam Swords about their awesome action-adventure game, Knights and Bikes, which came out last year. It's one of my favourite games of last year. And it's now coming out on a Nintendo Switch. And I thought, why not, you know, re-release this episode so we can remind everyone how awesome this game is, what it's about. And this is coming out on the Switch, so if you've got your Switch and you prefer that platform over all others, which I know a lot of people do, well, you can now find out more about the game. So here I am, doing my bit for raising the profile of this awesome game that is Knights and Bikes. a game that celebrates friendship, everyone, and the 1980s. So, you know... How can you possibly go wrong? You can't. That's how. So, normal service will resume next week. I can assure you we'll have a brand new... It's I won't reveal who they are, but it's very exciting. I met them at PAX West. Lovely people. And, uh, yes, looking forward to that one. But, without further ado, please, Chris, from 2016, please, take it away. Moo. Who are you? What do you do? Hi, I'm Mu Yu, and I'm the non-Rex half of Foam Sword Games, which means that I don't do the art, uh, do mostly programming, but everything else is a little bit shared between the two of us. Right. I've got to, first of all, congratulate you on, first of all, your successful launch of your Kickstarter campaign. Thank you very much. Which is ongoing uh, as, we, as we release this show. Uh, mm-hmm. Many days left on it, but uh, uh, it's, it's still going, so... I think we've got 23 days left, and we just hit the 50% mark. Yes, at the time of recording. Yeah. Hopefully it's way more than that by the time. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. I'm just going to say, I love the name of your your company. Yeah. Particularly, any story behind that one? Um, Not really. I mean, I think the the idea is always that we wanted to make something that was about, you know, imagination. And I think we're trying to come up with ideas of things that sort of evoke that ability to use your imagination to make something more out of something, you know, simple. And originally, I think we were thinking along the lines of stick, but um, that didn't really work out. So uh, we went with foam sword. Yeah, I remember as a kid using various implements to represent swords Yeah, uh, because, you know, some of the best... Um, films, favourite films 
um, were, you know, usually starring Yul Brynner or something like that from the <laughs> 1950s or, 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 you know, Charlton Heston doing Ben-Hur and Spartacus, of course, the all-time classic. Yeah. And uh, and uh, then latterly, um, Holy Grail, um, well, the question yes, of Holy Grail, which really wasn't comedy. Maybe you should have had some, you know, coconuts at the time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, I do. I do. The reason I bring that up because it's in, it's in the theme, because I do get the sense of knights and bikes being heavily, heavily doused in uh, British humour. Although from your accent, and we'll talk about your history in a moment, that doesn't seem your personal uh, uh, um, culture, but it looks like you're. You're fully immersed in it. Exactly. I've I've been here for about eight years now, so I've I've picked it up. But I think I've definitely preferred that type of humor even when I was back in the states. Yes, um, it's it's quite interesting when you try to explain people that you know Blackadder is mm-hmm. a great show. Like really? It's like yeah, and they see the first series and go, it's terrible. Like yeah, what's the second one? No, no, no. no. <laughs> so seriously, watch all of them. Yeah, and uh, you get my point. Really, like uh, Rowan Atkinson is just amazing. Exactly in, in in that in that show, and uh, I, d- I just get that from Nights Nights and Bikes. We'll talk about yeah, that absolutely. Later. It's it's yeah. It's the kind of humor you have to put a tiny bit of work into. Oh, it's very exhausting, and uh, <laughs> it's dry as a freaking bone to the point where <laughs> it's a desert, really. And yep. it's like, it can be quite exhausting trying to actually become embroiled in it. But once you do, it, it's very rewarding, in my yep. humble opinion. So. How did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games as opposed to tabletop games, which we also sometimes talk about on this show? (laughs) (laughs) So um, I guess on an educational front, um, I studied computer science. Um, I actually studied computer science, philosophy and cognitive science at UCLA. Um, That's an interesting uh, mix of of subjects. I mean, it does does intrigue me that the American universities have, you have majors and minors and stuff, don't you? Exactly. Whereas in the UK, you know this now, we don't. No. no, You just just read a subject. Yeah. Just one subject. (laughs) For three years and you're done. So tell us about, what what were you studying there? Yeah, so primarily I wanted to study philosophy, um, but my parents, you know, very business savvy and efficient, um, you know, made sure to make it very clear that there's no job for me after I did that. So all their friends, their sons were studying computer science, so I decided to study computer science as well. Um, and while I was doing that, I just sort of noticed that the overlap between these two subjects was, you know, a little field called cognitive science. And I just sort of had to take an extra eight or nine courses to get that major as well. So I decided to, you know, try and do all three at once. Right. Smart fellow then. <laughs> uh, so I'd have to counter your uh, parents' view on not doing, you know, being, taking philosophy and then not getting a job. That's not true. You can get no, all sorts not. and sorts of um, jobs uh, doing doing that. Uh, um, so uh, I, I would have to counter that. I'm sure yeah, you, you just couldn't get the four jobs that a Chinese American parent would want. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's, right. I think that's the, the the short of it. Yeah, I, I read civil engineering, so they would have <laughs> cool. loved that. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Because you can do anything when you read that. Trust me. Oh, <laughs> that degree was evil. Anyway, so cognitive sort of science. Did you say so? Yep. Is, where, what did you get from that? What, what attracted you to that? And can you describe it, how you define it? I'm not so it. it's interesting because I sort of, I was obsessed with, you know, consciousness at the time. And I sort of thought these were three interesting 
approaches to understand consciousness. You know, computer science was sort of by simulation. Um, cognitive science was actually the biological analysis and philosophy was obviously the introspective perspective, introspective perspective. Um, but yeah, it, it was just something fascinating to me that I just find always found consciousness to be this strange, magical thing. And I, you know, it's just, it's always been intriguing to me. And when I sort of got to university, it was, you know, at that point where you you're starting to, you know, you, you don't know what you know, and then you start understanding what you don't know, and everything's suddenly fascinating. And I think I just sort of branched out in a really wide way there. And, uh, I mean, we could go on and talk about, you know, how all creatures, great or small, yep. have some semblance of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find especially like, you know, especially our ape cousins, what we're yeah, apes as well. Uh, we all know, you know that, we're all primates, but yep. uh, the orangutans, and especially them, fascinating because they have a consciousness as well but how on earth did all of that lead you into making video games so for me it all started in at university i was in a graphics course okay um graphics programming and there was just a guy that was sat next to me i think at that point the assignment was you know make an animated scene of whatever you want and i decided to make um an animated scene of cloud strife from final fantasy 7 it looked awful it looked unbelievably awful um, but at least this, this guy that was sitting next to me figured out that, you know, I was a big fan of video games and he, we started chatting and he was telling me about, um, how he worked at a video game company and how he's going to E3 in a couple of weeks. Um, and I was just obsessed with this idea of maybe somehow going to E3. I, you know, I'd seen it from the outside so many times and it seemed absolutely yes, amazing. It's so. not. But anyway, it is not. No, I, I, I went enough times that uh, I definitely fatigued on it. Yeah. yeah so so yeah. that year, um, the deal he made to me was that he needed to place an intern. And if I applied for the internship and got it, then he would let me borrow his pass for one day to go to E3. Okay. Um, so that was sort of my first job in video games. It was um, actually um, a web game startup. Hmm. And so, yeah, so he moved on from there to a console games company and he brought me along that way. And then um, when I actually graduated from university, uh, I got a job at Insomniac Games. Oh, I see. So then, oh, OK, so um, you, you worked there for how long? For- so I worked at Insomniac for four years. Okay. Um, so it was one of these strange situations. I I'd done loads of UI work at the other internships. Um, so I applied for the UI position and then, so I interviewed for the UI position. They declined me for that, but then offered me a game, gameplay programmer position, which I would have applied for if I thought I had a chance to get it. Um, and they finally did hire the UI person and they were fired within two weeks. So I'm kind of glad I didn't, <laughs> didn't oh, wow. get like a fire. Okay. Um, but yeah, so basically they brought me on as a gameplay programmer there and I stayed there for four years and worked my way up to the lead programmer on Ratchet & Clank Tools of Destruction. Yeah, I can't... Up to 3 one Yeah, that's um, a glorious game. I love those games. Games, yeah, games. it was it was so much fun to work on. I love action-adventure games. I've been, ever since, I've been playing games for a very, 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 very long time. <laughs> um, we're talking from early 80s. I'm that old, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to apologise for being that old, but uh, I am. And uh, that means that I've seen all sorts of things uh, mm-hmm. over the years, good and bad. Uh, but um, action-adventure games... Especially like what Rare used to, well, we used to call them older player games, but you know, Rare used to make these games like Night Law and stuff like this. And that was the first sort of experience I had of playing an action adventure game. You can look it up, Night Law. It's an amazing okay. 3D yeah. isometric game. And then it, it went on from there. And I've always loved arcade adventures. Mm-hmm. And 
of sheer visual splendor, no offense to your, your abilities, but the visual splendor and the visual feedback you got from playing Ratchet and Clank games from PS2 right through to, to the PS4 era, which you know, the new ones yeah. are imminent to arrive. I'm sure you know. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm very excited about it. <laughs> I, did, I did play it at uh, Eurogamer um, last, last year. It was fantastic. Right. One of my Amazing, highlights. Yeah. Um, and I sat there and going, I need to go to play to go to an appointment but <laughs> I, I need to I can't so I was almost late because of it but no um, but underneath that the engine you know the the, the, the interaction the feeling of exactly. being part of that world of actually the impact of when he swings whatever weapon he's using mm-hmm. and it does something and it gives that feedback loop all the time to the player you can tell that that it's been nurtured and thought about constantly I mean, that must have been quite exhausting for you working on it, or maybe not. I don't know. It's, it's not really. I mean, it's it's one of these things that they demand so much, um, and everything just has to be absolutely right, and everything has to fit together just right. Mm. And it's the kind of thing that because I, so my first project was Ratchet Three, which was I believe called Up Your Arsenal, but I think it had a different title in the UK. I might be wrong about that. Um, a lot of them had different subtitles over yeah, here. Yeah, because uh, of Arsenal, you didn't understand yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, but it was interesting because that was my first game at Insomniac, and because I started at the very beginning, you know, I did sort of not-so-polished work at the beginning, and then, you know, the next deadline comes, and everything needs to be ramped up a bit, and I need to push myself to learn that. And then, it, you know, by the end of the project, I sort of started getting the feel for it. Um, and by, you know, by the time that I was leading, um, on Russian Clank Tools of Destruction, I could sort of impart all that knowledge that they'd instilled in me over the, the first two years on, you know, all the n- new incoming people. And I thought that was an absolutely incredible experience. And just, I, I think it goes to show when you draw the line high enough, um, you can just push everyone constantly towards, you know, meeting this bar of quality and you'll eventually find a way to get there. And I think that was the thing that was always surprising to me of the number of times they sort of asked you to do something that that seemed impossible that, you know, you sort of thought, well, I put my best in front of you and they'd say, no, it's got these four or five problems. And you're like, ah, well, um, I don't know what to do. And, you know, you just keep working at it, working at it, you know, asking other people for opinions and, and eventually you do get there. I mean, I remember well uh, for a franchise like that, and it's a long-lived franchise and much loved, mm-hmm. and a lot of them have come and gone. I mean, yep. it's, it's, you know, Crash Bandicoot. How often do you hear people go, "Oh, they're going to release a new one"? No, <laughs> no. no, they're never going to do that. <laughs> Let uh, it go. Yeah, your memories yeah. of it are probably a little bit better. Yeah, and then people play it on their PS3s because they still can. You can put mm-hmm. PS1 games in PS3s. People yeah. don't know this, yeah. but you slam it in, and you go, "Ugh." Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have fun uh, with that. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not like Viv Ribbon, which is timeless, but exactly. you know, or Res, because that's timeless as well. <laughs> but no, they, it, the time has not been kind to those games. No. Um, I, I definitely remember once I was playing. I think it was PS2 era had come come about, and we went back and played Twisted Metal One, and it was so so bad to go back that I genuinely couldn't break the foreground from the background with my eyes. I was just like, where, where is my vehicle? I, I keep yeah, losing I, my vehicle. I and can't just, oh. see anything. Yeah, I can't see anything. Um, the only exceptions I've found for that, if, a little bit of a detour, but maybe mm-hmm. you can empathize with this, is Nintendo N64 stuff. I've found, oh, yeah. yes, there's fog, I grant you, yeah. but, you know, Zelda, Ocarina of Time, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's some games that do hold up and some not so yeah, much. Some, yeah. some not so much. So, Okay, so that's that's a really story. So how did you come over here, and what what you you 
what, what, what did you, what happened? Because obviously you left Insomniac because I don't think they have any base in, in the UK. So uh, <laughs> what happened? So it was a strange time in the industry. Um, so I just finished Ratchet, um, Tools of Destruction, and I was sort of looking for my next gig because I'd sort of worked on three Ratchet games in a row and it it sort of felt like I was learning or doing the same thing over and over and I wasn't really learning anything new. Um, so I started looking around shops in the U.S. and it seemed like everyone was making a shooter. Um, yeah. Even Insomniac was making Resistance. And I, I, I don't like very violent games. It's just not my kind of thing. Um, so I didn't really want to work on a, a very violent game. And that seemed to be what I think Years of War had been very successful. You know, Half-Life ah. 2 and Doom yeah. had come out. Yeah, or, sticking a chainsaw on a gun is like, that's not violent. No, <laughs> yeah. no, that is. So, yeah, it was just a lot of feeling around for projects that would probably fit the kind of thing that I like making, and nothing really stuck out at me. And then um, at GDC, Little Big Planet was announced, and that changed everything. Yeah, yeah, that lovely uh, lovely Little Big Planet game that was... I mean, what, what struck me about that game, not so much the creative side of things, I know that was the main core of it, yeah. was the fact you could jump in and out of the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, there's yeah. a game that came out recently called Poncho. I don't know if you know about it, but it's, no, uh, as it's a great game. It's, it has similar kind of mechanic, although it really, it really requires you to do it. Okay, yeah. And it has parallax scrolling in it. Mm-hmm. But rather than just the scenery being behind, you have to look at it and go, well, I can't. I need to go over there. But oh, there's a platform in there. Oh, I know. I jump on there. Then then, just as I land on it, I then flip again and then I land on the other platform. Brilliant. Oh, that's really clever. Yeah, so it's very clever. Do check it out. Yeah. Uh, we interviewed them late last year. Oh, great. Brilliant people. So have a listen. Yeah. But um, no, okay. So that was it. So then you thought, well, I need to head to Guildford then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the thing that drew me in was just sort of this idea of, I think people playing together so joyously. Like mm. you know, it just looked like a lot of fun. You know, to to gather a bunch of people around a television and you know just just sort of mess around or whatever. And it was just yeah. It, it just sort of grabbed me at the right time. And I happened to have a friend who was traveling through Europe at the time, and he happened to meet the Media Molecule team and told them, well, when you're out in E3, you should meet this guy. So I met them at E3 that year, um, and that's when we started talking about me moving over to the UK. Wow. So it's um, that, 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 that is quite quite a story to, <laughs> to get a constructive meeting at E3. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, but it is it is one of those moments where I think, you know, I, I think I got an email with relatively short notice saying we're at this hotel. If you can meet us in, you know, sometime tonight, we have a bit of time. And he was like, I just jump in my car as fast as I can and drive over. Right. And, you know, it's one of these uh, sometimes, you know, these opportunities come up and you just have to jump at them, jump at them. And I think I was sort of lucky for it to pop up and lucky that I was able to get there. I love the fact that Stephen Fry narrated um, Little Big mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of my favourite lines is, um, we'd like to say that no sack boys were, were harmed during the making of Little Big Planet. <laughs> and then there's a pause. We'd like to say that. <laughs> uh, it is not true. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Um, yeah, the dulcet tones of Mr. Fry. Uh, he should ensure that voice. He probably has. Probably yeah, has. I'm sure he has. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that probably brings us to present day, because you worked on 
many games, didn't you? A little big planet one to three, I'm assuming. No, one to two. I, so Sorry. I I actually only worked on well, I worked on Little Big Planet one, and right. I did a lot of the prototyping for Little Big Planet two, so the okay. microchips and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, no, then I left to do my own thing. Actually, okay. doing. I've I think the time between then and now, I sort of consider a strange wandering phase because um, I bounced around. I spent a few years making Facebook games um, just because I was really interested in trying to reach wider audiences. But then I realized sort of the kinds of games I was making weren't the kinds of games I wanted to be making. Um, and then so I sort of experimented a little bit with children's games. I went to Mind Candy for a couple of years, um, and then that just also didn't seem right. And then sort of this opportunity came up to sort of start thinking about Nights and Bikes. Cool. Well, that brings us to the present day. We'll move talk about that in detail yeah. in the second half. So that's quite a storied history there. So, But as a creator of things, what mm-hmm. is the biggest influence you have? Oh, I mean, it's it's always hard to pin it down to one or two things. But, you know, I think right now, I think my secret mana roots are really, really showing um, in that it, it was just one of these these games that was such a critical part of not only my childhood memories, but sort of how I met my friends as a child, you know, as a child and how we sort of got together and what we did. And I think, you know, Secret of Mana, there's one of my friends that I'm, I'm very, or I was very, very close with at the time. And the way I actually met him is that he moved, he just moved to the block. Um, and he decided that the way that he was going to find new friends was he was going to ride around the block for, for the entire day on his bike. And anytime he saw a kid, he would stop them and ask, do you have a Nintendo? And if you had a Nintendo, he would write down your house address, and he said he said he was going to come back and visit you, and so you could trade cartridges. Um, and one of those games that I ended up playing with him and actually trading with him for was Secret of Mana. So it was a Super Nintendo. He's really asking. So, about, right? so he really was asking. I think he at the time we sort of used Nintendo as the the term for all video games. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of Sega Genesis trading that we were doing as well, but um, right. Yeah, I think that was just a universal term for it. That's interesting because you know this now because you lived it long enough. But we didn't, we don't have that attachment to Nintendo. Mm. We we had eight bit computers up until yep. you know the late eighties because the NES came out really late over here. Oh, really okay. late. I didn't actually know that. And um, also, all the games ran about fifteen percent slow because they were PAL. Oh yep, of course. And we had these black borders. <laughs> uh, if you want to see it really bad, see Wave Race PAL on the N sixty four. It is an abomination. Just look it up. It's hilarious. It's, <laughs> a, it's like legendary. It's like yeah. this is the last straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> and it wasn't until the Dreamcast, bless Sega, thank you, mm-hmm. um, they said, no, 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 this is stupid. This is yeah. stupid. And actually, what they did, what did they, and the Dreamcast and the PAL version, which was blue, by the way, not orange, yeah. they actually had a switch inside that said, we want to go 60 hertz or 50 hertz. Ah, oh, got it. And you just switched it to 60 hertz and went, there you go, full speed. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, yeah. And then everyone yeah. went, huh. <laughs> you mean you could, yeah, the European territories now, and everyone, you know, the millions of people, they do 60 hertz as well. Okay? <laughs> we so could have been stop? doing this the whole time. Yeah, you could have been doing that all the time. Could you just, you know, so that was awesome. So, yeah, yeah but um, that's interesting. So that's, that, that's how you got sort of linked up to, um, you know, that's your, your, your inspiration is drawing from those awesome JRPGs, which sadly I missed as a kid because I got a Sega Master System because we didn't have the NES over here. Yeah. Really wasn't keen on it, so then I defected over to the Amiga. Ah. So I just dived into demo you scenes. And missed all of them. Yeah, I mean... I'm, it, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, you know, the genre of JRPG. I mean, I, I've always loved them, but I think it's 
it's a little bit of that outside experience, you know, that, that getting people together, like, you know, secret man in, in particular, um, I get calls from my friend all the time of like, I'm at this particular boss. I need you to come over and help. Um, those kinds of things. And I think there was just sort of so much, you know, social activity outside of the game, even yeah. in those times that I thought, you know, it was just something really special. And they were so deep and so broad and mm-hmm. went on for tens of hours. Yep. Um, and, you know, for me, one of my favorites, because I've re- retrospectively now actually caught up, so don't yep. worry, I understand. <laughs> you know, I still adore Chrono Trigger. Uh, yep, I absolutely. managed to get it on the DS and just dove into that game. And I just managed to come out, come out for air when I'm done <laughs> with it. Extraordinary, extraordinary That's game. Incredible, fact, yeah. Many developers, when it came out initially, they said, you know, you have to develop, they would interview people and say, have you played Chrono Trigger yet? And if you hadn't, then they needed to, otherwise they wouldn't employ them. I'm not sure, <laughs> I thought, probably, um, um, there's like a, a fable, yeah. if you will, but, um, the mere, you know, but, uh, that, it's one, it's one of those very, very, very important games. Mm-hmm, and the fact that it's, and this, uh, the fact that the JRPG is still going strong to this day yep. is amazing. Although, like I said, personally, I grew up with games like Dungeon Master and, um, Eye Beholder and stuff like that. <laughs> Which is a very different kind of RPG. Yeah. It's a very Western RPG. Of it's course. very character focused, very real time. It's all, you know, first person. It's in your, it's a, it's a very different experience. This is what, how I, you know, first experienced RPGs on computers, really. Mm, yeah. Not, not the JRPGs. It's much later on in life that I encountered those and yeah. understood the beauty of them. So, okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, so who do you most admire in the industry? So I think there's two that, that I constantly, constantly look towards. So one of them is Samogo. Um, so they're a two-man Swedish team um, that do some incredibly interesting um, iOS games. Okay. Um, so Can you name a few? I think I know. So Beat Sneak, Ma- Beat, Beat Sneak Bandit was one of them. All um, right. I'm trying to remember. Um, they did Year Walk, which was sort of an, a really interesting adventure game take. It, it um, works fabulous on my 6S Plus. Yeah. <laughs> but boasting about that, yeah. that um, I have one. The reason yeah. I have it is because I play games, okay? Yeah. People ask me, it's like, why have you got such a big screen? <laughs> well, how are someone who play Alto's Adventure? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I can yeah. see and touch so things. So I can see. <laughs> yeah. You know, because oh. I, I mean, as much as I love my 5S, bless it, uh, when I upgraded, I thought, oh, thank God I can see now. Mm-hmm. You know, and my big dirty great thumb isn't taking over. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you look at them, so they also made Device Six. Um, but if you look at them, each of their games are so different from one another. Yeah. But they all they they've all got a common core, and it all feels like a Samogo game. And I think that's just sort of incredible. And I, I you know, I also admire you know a team of two people that can sort of do so much. Inspired, um, no less. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 incredible. And I think the other group that I constantly look to is just um, Capybara in uh, Canada. Just everything they make is just so full of character, so interesting, so I don't know. It's you know, I, I played through Super Time Force relatively recently, um, and just was absolutely hooked and blown away by it. Just it's you know, so all the little exactly it's just it's just such a concept that you think you get sick of but it just gets more and more absurd <laughs> as time goes on because it had, well just, no, no pun intended but yeah, it's of just, course, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, when i first encountered that at pax prime i think it was i yeah. 
did a double take and like, you've yeah. got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Um, my instant reaction was nothing good can come from this. <laughs> and I was wrong. Happy to yep, say. Yeah. Exactly. It was a masterpiece. And the, I think the number of people that have sort of tried to do a time mechanic like that, you know, you take, you go back to like Blinks the Time Sweeper or something like that, or, you know, rewind mechanics in Prince of Persia. And, you know, they, they really, really did pull it off in such a creative, inventive, but also, you know, cappy, insane way. And I just, I think they're an incredible studio. Yeah. Well, good answers, sir. I, 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 I agree wholeheartedly. Um, so, last question in the first half, which is my favorite question, because it gives me a hint about working on after this, no doubt. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, ever. <laughs> uh, most of the time, people say things that have nothing to do with what they're about to work on. So, mm-hmm. what are you playing right now? So right now I am playing through Tearaway Unfolded, which is really embarrassing because it's what the last game that Rex made. And basically at the end of last year when it came out, I was doing a house move, planning a wedding and getting Knights and Bikes ready for announce. And now I'm still planning a wedding and, you know, trying to promote Knights and Bikes. And it's just finding even the slightest amount of time to make any progress on Tearaway has been very difficult. Can't really dip in and out of those games. Exactly, yeah. Part of it to get the most out. So is this the PS4 game? Yeah, this is the PS4 one. So I played the Vita one and absolutely Mm. loved it. Um, And so, yeah, now I've got the PS4 version. I'm two two areas in, but (laughs) I I think I've been two areas in for at least four weeks now. One of my favorite... Vita games. I mean, there's some fantastic Vita games, and it's sad that Sony have walked away from it. But I can understand why. But they just didn't. They just couldn't quite get it with that machine, which is sad. And I'm still angry about that. But there it is. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's fantastic to see it on the PS4. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. Anything else? Um, not really. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to jump into either The Witness or Firewatch once I finish those, or once <laughs> I finish Tearaway. But I- um, I yeah. just bought. We just talked about it. Yeah. Show everyone. I just. I was watching a quick look of it uh, uh, on Giant Bombs. Uh, great show about the Firewatch. It's, 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 that 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 game looks hilarious. Mm-hmm. I think. I, yeah. Considering the people making it, though, not surprising. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to diving into that. But I've started The Witness. Mm-hmm. Um, I love puzzles, yeah. so I'm okay with it, yeah. and I'm okay with like getting frustrated and going. You know what? I'm just going to come back to this later. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems like a, the perfect kind of thing to play until you can't, and then play something else, and then come back. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's one particular puzzle I'm looking at going, but I've done everything right! <laughs> uh, I've done everything yeah. right! What do you want from me? That kind of conversation you have on yep. the television screen is just that's the witness. If you want to yep. have conversations, one-way conversations with your television screen, by the witness, because you have them <laughs> all the time. Like, you're telling it the whole thing is guiding me towards doing that and yet it doesn't work (laughs) that's Uh, what i'm having right now so i cannot say what it is because you you tell me to stop you say yeah i haven't even started so yeah Yeah, shut up but (laughs) it's just you know what that conversation you're gonna have and that's fine that's you know if you like that sort of i do say to people oh should i get that and i sort of size them up and i stroke my chin and go <laughs> no, <laughs> not for you. It's not for the elitist. Far from it. I'm saying, yeah. well, this is only for smart people. No, it's only for a certain person who has mm. a certain way of thinking or patience or acceptance of you're going to fail and you're going to fail a lot, but that's mm. okay. Yeah. 
It's like the Dark Souls game, you know. Yeah, you play that. No. Unless <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you want to break your television set. No. <laughs> Great, well that's the end of the first half of the show. Great. Um, that was really painless, well done. Thanks for all your history <laughs> and stuff, it's awesome. But now we're going to go on to the second half where we talk about knights and knights. question. Regular listeners now will hear me make the reference to Asimov. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Seriously. I'm not sure you're familiar with Isaac Asimov and iRobot and stuff. You know, the, the, the laws yep. of robotics and there's, there's number zero, of course. Uh, but this is not about that. What I'm going to ask you is, basically, it's a zeroth question because it's not really a question. It's your chance to give us a pitch of what is, tell us about, if you will, Knights and Bikes. What is it? So yeah, Knights and Bikes is it's a co-op adventure game um that's about childhood and it's sort of inspired by you know our own childhoods and the the big cultural touch points of our childhoods like Goonies or Secret of Mana and Earthbound. That's it. That's, that's it. it. It's the, that is the it is a co-op adventure just yep. to be clear. And it's two characters, isn't it? Yep. It's two characters. There's there's two other characters in your party, one of which is a goose and one of which is a decapitated head. We still haven't decided if we're going to make them playable or not. Um, no. But yeah, there's there's definitely two playable characters. That's, that's interesting. And I'm going to ask a bit about where those influences come from because they mm-hmm. remind me of other characters in children's shows that I grew up with. Interesting. Um, which may be Rex doing his thing. Yeah, um, it may be things that I've never heard of in my understand. entire life, and he's been ripping off children's cartoons. That he is I've completely doing. <laughs> it's like you don't know. And I'm going to ask you some questions, and what what I suspect is going to happen, you're going to go back to Rex and go, "Did you? <laughs> what? What I, is that? What is that?" <laughs> so we're going to do that. But first thing I do is that when I first heard the name, mm-hmm. I this is the first question. This is the silly question. This is the one I warned you about. Um, just to get this right out of the way so we can move on. Yeah. Okay, so I need to ask this. When I heard Knights and Bikes, I was like, what? Is that jackass beer mix jousting? <laughs> Interesting. The um, thought has never crossed my mind before. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Yeah, because yeah. when I when I heard the name, I thought, what, they made a video game about beer mix jousting? and and then I immediately started watching videos of jackass on YouTube and various (laughs) other places like yeah yeah there's BMX jousting (laughs) I'm going to have to check that out because I don't like I know jackass but I'm not really like familiar with the beer jousting that that particular they they, they did they did jousting with BMX bikes oh BMX jousting okay got it yeah BMX jousting so they get a BMX bike and they get they dress in full armor, 
with a joust, and then they just ride at each other. Oh. Nothing good comes of it, of course. Of course not. <laughs> lots, of, lots of hurt and damage. It's like yeah. it just, they just they just collapse into a heap and go, oh, oh, and it's like, why did you do that? <laughs> The one, the one of many ways that they accomplish the same feat. <laughs> same feat. And I just want to ask you, wait, did you just watch that and thought, let's make a game out of that? I know you haven't. <laughs> no, but I just not so know, much, yeah. Clearly, it did. So, that's interesting. I just, I just want, I thought, that must be an influence. It wasn't. No, not so much. Yeah. I mean, there's a few influences that we've been called out for that actually weren't influences. One of them is our main character's name is Nessa. And everyone's like, oh, that's an Earthbound reference. I was like, didn't even cross my mind. (laughs) Oops. Subconscious stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It just gets into your head. So, yeah, maybe BMX jousting is somewhere in the back of my head. um, Not that I know of. No. But now you put it up and Rex, you and I, you you can you can sit there and go, right. Well, there's a thing. (laughs) Let's not have it in the in the game, but okay. But yep. I, I I won't be the only one, okay. You know, I won't be the only one who, who link the two. <laughs> right or wrong, they're gonna they're going to. Yep. Um, but other things they'll they'll link is um, so. This is my proper question now. So here we go. Deep breaths. Yep. Um, Nights and bikes is very much an adventure game that's structured mm-hmm. around the tales of people or children, obviously growing up at a certain age between five yep. and twelve. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, that magical time when you're not jaded sort of teenager that hates your parents and you're still discovering the world and the things around it. So that's exactly time. Um, so for me, as a British person, I'm going to make reference, you probably won't recognise these, but it's like the Railway Children, Swallows and Amazons, and of course the Goonies. Uh, I'm familiar with the last one. The first two you can ask Rex about. He'll probably, yeah. go, he'll probably nod vigorously and go, <laughs> yes, it's like those two as well. And I think <laughs> actually you should look those up as well because it might yeah, definitely. inform your creation of this. Yeah. And um, So how have you built Knights and Bikes around a very traditional story structure? Because, so yeah. do, do you mean how, how have we, you know, you know, how did we go about deciding on taking that kind of story structure or, no, or how do we approach it? It's a very traditional story structure of, of a group of children, mm-hmm. close friends. It could be from five to like the yeah. of them and and they go off and discover and go on weird adventures, you know, it's like stack okay. by B and stuff like that. These yeah. have been told over and over and over again. Oh yeah, of course. So how have you made that into your game and made it interesting and you know what have you done to yeah. create that atmosphere? I think there's a lot of, you know, introduce an introduction of sort of our own experiences and like the kinds of things that we thought about and worried about when we were kids. But I also think it's just, you know, the the reason it is such a common story structure is it's it's a very nice time in that the the rules aren't defined to a kid, you know. I think kids don't really know how the world works yet and I think it opens up a lot of possibilities of where the imagination can take you and how you can present things in a way that seems very real to a child but doesn't really make sense in any other way. And I think it sort of lends itself to the kinds of story that the kind of story that we want to tell, which is, you know, it's fantastical and interesting but still sort of has a human heart to it. Right. So that's what the hook is around, isn't it? You build this structure, this game, this, this idea of these adventures, and mm-hmm. you build the combat systems around, you know, to make it in, interesting and engaging and yep. challenging to the player. Mm-hmm. Yet the story, the, the, because it's so familiar, the structure of it, they'll want to see it through. Is that fair to say? 
I think so. I think, you know, we definitely want to make every bit of it enjoyable. I mean, as we were talking about Insomniac, you kind of learn there that you can't really have a weak link. You know, once if your story doesn't support your gameplay, doesn't support, you know, the world that you've built, your visuals and that kind of stuff, it all starts falling apart at the seams. Um, so I think the story is a very, very important part of it for us. Um, but I also think all the other bits need to be there as well. You know, it has to be fun to, you know, fight these, these spirits from the past or these knights or whatever. Um, but it also has to, there has to be a reason that you're doing it. It can't just be a game where you're just going around and bashing everything, uh, mindlessly. Like, you know, there has to be a reason. There has to be stakes into, you know, a stake stakes for what you're doing, you know, stakes for what if everything goes wrong. Um, I think without those elements, it's, you know, it's just another, you know, run around and mash buttons kind of game. And that's very true for the, the, the you know, Railway Children, Swallows Amazons and those mm-hmm. stories. They, they have, a, you know, the stakes. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, there's risks involved. They could get hurt or terrible things could happen. All, you know, it's it's all very... Yeah, there's a, a, an underlying current of, of danger. If you yeah, will. absolutely. And, uh, but that does not to the point where the, the children get permanently hurt, of course. Yeah, of course. But, because that would be terrible. But yeah. it's just definitely a case of, you know, things go wrong, relatively speaking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's, it's things, I think you always have to set it up, right? You have to define what does it mean for something to go wrong for one of these kids. You know, I think for, you know, our, our, one of our main characters, Nessa, you know, she's sort of an orphan that's been trying to figure out where she fits in in the world. Mm. Um, and so she runs away to this island thinking maybe there's a solution here. Maybe I can find something about the past that links, you know, links with me and will tell me who I am. And so, you know, I think it's that kind of thing of like, well, the stakes are defined for her. She needs to find an identity. She needs to find somewhere she fits in. And I think when you define those stakes, it becomes easy to sort of, you know, put things in peril of just like, well, what what happens if she she does her absolute best and still doesn't fit anywhere or doesn't belong anywhere, you know? And I think, you know, there's, there's those kinds of things that, that we're trying to set up in the, in the game, but it's, I think there's a lot of games that it feels very preachy or, you know, the, the everything's too heavy on the surface. And I think for us, it's, we want you to go on this adventure and explore this world and see all these wonderful things um, and sort of, the thing we don't want you to be paying attention to, but we want to be happening is for you to be sort of getting invested in these characters and their relationships and that kind of thing as well. And those characters are quite bonkers. Um, <laughs> which leads me to my next question. You cite games like Earthbound and Secret of Mana being direct influences when creating Knights and Bikes. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that the game is akin to throwing lots and lots of British humour mixed with 1980s references, along with growing up in a very small, nondescript town at a JRPG and seeing what happens? Um, I don't know. I think I think those are all elements more... that we've brought in, but yes. I think there's always going to be a little bit more than that. Of course there is. I just, that's what I want to tease out of you. Because, you know, from the surface, and it would be very churlish of me to do that, to say, oh, that's all you've done, take it to JRPG <laughs> and just yep. throwing lots of British humour at it. That's great. Thumbs up. <laughs> There's way too more to it. Can you tell us more? What 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 else? Is yeah. There? So I mean, you know, <clears throat> the, 
it depends on what front we want to talk about. But like, for example, if we talk about the gameplay, you know, I think a lot yes. of the, the the gameplay is very interesting to us. You know, you you sort of take the tropes of JRPGs. Um, you know, Secret of Mana is the one I think of the most, and you sort of think about, oh well, there's support classes and how do they work together and that kind of thing. And you know, there's some really nice combat there. There's you know the insomniac level of polish of things. But the the really interesting thing that we're trying to dig out with this one is sort of how do you make um, these abilities mirror uh, a relationship? So, you know, there's these two girls and they become fast friends, but things aren't always, you know, hunky dory. I think they're going to disagree on things. They're going to they're going to have fights between them. And obviously there's these other characters to sort of instigate these things. Um, but I think it's really important so <clears throat> that you have someone that feels like an outsider and they finally meet a friend and what it feels like to to sort of fit with someone, you know, like when your abilities sort of match perfectly, what does it feel like to sort of be in a relationship and make it feel like it it works? So I think one of the examples that we've already talked about is that Nessa um, or Demelza has a, a puddle stomp ability. So, you know, she can find a puddle and stomp in it and do a huge amount of damage to everything around. Um, but there's not so many puddles and she uses them up very quickly. Um, so Nessa also has an ability where she can throw water balloons and she can throw the small water balloons and they don't really leave much puddles. They sort of just get things wet. Um, but, she, you know, her secondary ability there is like, you know, this big whopper of water balloon that leaves a big puddle behind. Um, and so there's situations where, you know, you're going to need Demelza to be able to stomp and, you know, do damage to a certain area. And, you know, Nessa's going to have to set that up for her. But on the other side, and I think that's something that's very common in a lot of games. But on the other side, I think there's going to be times where they don't get along. And we're going to definitely balance um, some of the abilities to to make that very apparent that they're not getting along right now. So one of the examples that may or may not go into the game, I mean, we're still very early days, but that we've been thinking about is sort of Nessa generally is more distance based. You know, she has range based attacks. She sort of throws things and that kind of thing. And if Demelza has something that affects the wind dramatically and you need to coordinate these things, but it's very hard for Demelza to sort of, sort of set up the right situation. It's much easier for her, her to, you know, use the wind to knock something off course or, you know, mess up what Nessa's trying to do. And I think, you know, trying to play with these mechanics and how they they do work together really well or they don't work together um, and sort of making that mirror the relationship that the two are going through. That's, yes. I love that sort of complement of the two characters and they mm. can interact with one another and you're right, it, it, it goes on far, far deeper than that and also uh, reflects their relationship. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things. So one of a game that we're both both Rex and I are massive fans are is um, a brother brothers, a tale of two souls. Okay. And it was just one of those games that sort of they didn't tell a very heavy story, but the mechanics melded so well with that relationship between the two brothers. And it was something that we both found really interesting. Mm. Um, And I feel like for that one, it was always, you know, them working together and, you know, what the strengths of one were versus the strengths of the other. And we, we did want to, you know, put that on its head a little bit of like, you know, what would happen if you had two people playing together and their, their abilities were in conflict and, you know, they, they have to coordinate this thing in the real world. And, you know, you, you might have like a shoving match on the couch. You might, you know, you, I think about some of the times when I used to play pixel junk monsters with my other half and just the amount of yelling that would happen. Um, so we, we kind of wanted to have that kind of experience of what it's like to play as Nessa and what it's like to play as Demelza as a pair in real life. Yes. Yes. That, that's good to project that into the player's hands. 
rather than them passively just absorbing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the visual style, yeah. um, it's very striking. Yeah. Uh, looks not unlike what we can look it up. Something called Charlie says, and you can look okay. it up. Public safety announcements from the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's sort of like this sort of, um, like I said, sort of many, many times, but it's like paper cutout sort of animation okay. thing. And it's, uh, it, that, I know it's Rex's uh, handiwork, but can you say from the outside in, can you tell us how that evolved? Yeah, I think, I think the thing that we kind of knew is that, you know, we wanted to have this sort of childlike blurriness to what reality is. Yeah. Um, so I think it was very important of us, important for us to have an art style that sort sort of mirrored that. So it was, you know, really nice and beautiful, but all, also really busy and you know blurry at the same time. So I think one of the things that we do with almost all our assets is we have a few versions of it for it to flicker between, you know, just so everything feels a little bit fuzzy and a little bit movie. But we didn't want literal fuzz fuzziness. You know, we didn't want the scene to look blurry or muddy or anything like that. And so doing you know a fuzziness in motion was one of the ways that we can sort of get across this idea that this world is is sort of you know a little bit loose you know yes it's not frayed on the edges it's yeah exactly it's, it's almost real but maybe some of the things happening here aren't absolutely and i think okay. you know one of the the really minor things that i don't think anyone's really picked up on is um you know the style for Demelza's favorite video game is cut into the trailer a little bit um and it's it's a very very vectory style it is. and so if you go back and look through the trailer there's a bit of that vectory style integrated into certain bits of you know making you think well is is that in her imagination or is that real or you know that kind of thing and always trying to blur those lines and keep that question going yeah i can see how that's um again another way of drawing the player in mhm Presenting them with more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Are these creatures real? Mm. <laughs> Maybe they're not. Maybe <laughs> you know the puddle attack. Is that real? Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's great. That's yeah, great. and I, and I think it's you know the the thing for us isn't it's not oh we don't want you to keep an eye and always be like oh is that real? It's not that kind of puzzle game. It's much more you know we're telling the story from the perspective of children and it doesn't really matter what happened or didn't happen because it's sort of this is how they saw it this is how yes. they remembered it this is what they experienced and this is what, that's what really matters yep exactly so last question now i know all good things come to <laughs> but you haven't really delved into it and i want you to yep tell us about the variety of weapons that are available to the players um they deserve some attention especially <laughs> the power glove the power glove. Yeah, the the power glove is, was sort of the first thing that we started prototyping. And we actually do have some plans for, you know, how to make it like very, very versatile. Right. Um, but originally it was just it was just a little prop. Um, you know, it's it, Demelza's video game obsessed and she she loves this this um, this vector knight of hers and she wants to bring it with her everywhere she goes. And she, so she always kept this power glove on her on her side. Um, so originally it was just a melee weapon. But actually Rex, Rex has been doing some sketches of you know how it could be a lot more things and how it could be that thing that brings the vector world with her um but we haven't actually built any of that stuff so i don't want to promise anything too concrete um but yeah i think that there will be a range of weapons and the whole idea is that there are all these makeshift things that kids would find around um and we we don't you know we don't want to have like you know 
blades and scimitars and guns no. or anything like that. But no, you want all... a, you want an orange frisbee though, eh? Exactly. <clears throat> Which <laughs> tell us about him. So yeah, the frisbee. Yeah. The frisbee, ironically, is a frisbee that doesn't really behave like a frisbee. It behaves much more like a boomerang. Yeah. So the idea we had there is that one of the mechanics that we built relatively on, uh, relatively early on, that makes sense for knights is that they're shielded. Um, and we thought, you know, how do you get behind a shield? And if you have something that you can throw out that comes back to you, you can obviously throw it behind them, run, and then hit them in the back. Um, so for you know shielded shielded characters there's a few options so one of them is that you know one of you grabs their attention and kites them around while you go and hit them in the back and the other one is that you can use something like a boomerang and or a frisbee and throw it behind them run around and it comes back and hits them in the back of the head yes which you know right a boomerang would be a little bit violent wouldn't it <laughs> yeah i know zelda has yeah. it but but to yeah. have a frisbee do that yeah. And more, more times out of ten, whenever I've thrown a frisbee, and it has been a few times, yeah. uh, I, I've played ultimate frisbee and stuff like that. It has come back at you. It's <laughs> yeah. the wind. Yep. You know, you've got a, a crosswind, you just throw it, yeah. and then it flips up, and then it starts sailing towards you like, that wasn't, <laughs> supposed, to, that wasn't supposed to happen. And then the yeah. opposing team catches it because you did that, because yep. you're an idiot. Um, but, um, yeah, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about the weapons because they are – they're just – tease out again yet more of the theme of the game and how exactly. it's there is I'm going to use the word a lot of whimsy here but that's okay <laughs> yeah and and one of the other things that's really important about the weapons is it's it's a link between the two girls and the other islanders so uh, you know at one point in the game the you know the islanders are going to be possessed by these evil spirits and you're going to have to go back and rescue them yeah um and we wanted to have you know weapon upgrades in a way but we didn't want it to be you know, your normal uh, plus this stat plus that stat you know so one of the weapons that we did a prototype was was uh, a shield that is just the giant book that Demelza has and you can rescue the librarian and she can give you thicker bindings or that kind of stuff. Or, you know, the fishmonger can, you know, give you ice to put in your water balloons or something like that. But we wanted to make that, that interaction with the world a little bit more, a little bit more thought out and thematic. So basically, you know, when you go and rescue an Islander and bring them back to their shop, you know, they, they repay you with whatever skills they have, but their skills are never armor Smith or weapon Smith. They're always something, something much more strange. Exactly. Which you don't know if it's imagined or not. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it so doesn't matter. Yep. It's being developed for windows, PC, Mac and Linux presently, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, and maybe there's a stretch goal to port it to other things, but so I'm assuming it's all done in, in Unity or something like that. Yep, it's built in Unity. Right. Um, and yeah, so hopefully, I think we, we would love to bring it to some other platforms, especially the ones that, you know, we're very familiar with. Um, but obviously, all of that takes time, and we're a tiny team of two, so we'll have to see how that goes. Indeed, and also investment. Speaking yep. of which, Go and check it out. It's it's knights and and uh, and, and bikes and yeah. uh, it's knights as in knights and round tables. Okay, and so knights. <laughs> yeah. Look look that up, and you it's the first thing you find. Um, I I discovered it while I was flicking through Facebook. I follow develop, and they did a posting about it. And I went, ooh, this looks funny. <laughs> and then I watched the video, and then I thought. It's nothing to do, Jackass. Disappointing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see if we can add some BMX jousting for you. Yes, just, just you know, because he's set in the 1980s. You say that, don't you? Yeah. 87. 
Yep. Interesting. Um, Which is just what happened to be what Rex wrote on that eviction notice. So I said, okay, that's when it's set. <laughs> yep. It's done. Interesting time of, yeah, because that the the NES was in its height, but the Amiga was yeah, all sort of stuff going on. So, yeah. ooh, okay. Well, <laughs> it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you I very much. Wish you the very very best of luck in um, in the Kickstarter. Of course, I have a vested interest in it because everyone, I did back it. So there you go. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, I do encourage everyone to listen, who's listening to do so as well while it's still up. Um, and um, yeah you're welcome to come back on the show anytime maybe when it's released or when you're working on something else that'll be Amazing. great yeah, uh, it'll be a pleasure but, yeah but it's been fantastic having you on thank you very much thank you you have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast part of the Cane and Rinse Collective support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, canonrince.com.